0: Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. Amen. Amen. If you'll turn with me, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. We're talking about his kingdom comes, and this morning I want to talk to you about dying to get in. Dying to get in. His kingdom comes. I think we use the phrase, I'm dying, maybe a little bit too much today. Anybody feel that way? I am dying for a Dr. Pepper. Anybody say that? I'm dying for a Dr. Pepper. Or maybe uh, uh, you're dying to, you know, try out that new restaurant that comes open in town. Or uh, some of us have kids are going to college right now. I'm dying to get into that one college I want to get into, mom or dad. Or uh, if you're in the South lately and you're sitting in the back seat, I am dying for some AC in the back back here. Anybody? I mean, that's a common phrase. I'm dying back here. Turn the AC up. Uh, or how many of you have been on long road trips? And uh, you're like, I've got to go to the restroom, I'm dying. I mean, what does that mean for us? So let's talk about the latter. I'm not really one to start off with bathroom humor on a sum- uh, sermon, but you're going to get it here in a second. Because when you say, I have got to go, y'all, I'm dying. Uh, we've been in this car way too long. You know, in that moment when you feel like you're dying, um, you may get a little... Uh, Undignified, okay, Uh, in that moment. You may get a little bit more anxious. In fact, some of y'all might lose your character uh, a little bit. You may not be yourself because uh, you have uh, an urgency. Let's just say it that way, right? There's an urgency to get to the place you need to go, uh, that you need some relief in your life, all right? Come on. And uh, that even some of y'all are not so undignified that y'all might not make it and pull over to the side of the road, okay? I'm not looking at raising of hands here. Uh, but some of you are that undignified. Y'all might be re- willing to do that. But there's an urgency, a forcefulness. In, in fact, by the time you pull up to that gas station, some of y'all might not be a, 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 so undignified. Y'all might push people out of the way to make a break for that restroom in that gas station. You may not look like yourself, act like yourself, sound like yourself, because you know uh, you've got to get somewhere, right? Are you with me today? Y'all looking at it like we should be talking about this stuff on a sermon. But I wanna, I want want I was thinking about this, uh, because there's, there's a reason. I believe God is looking for some undignified worshipers in his kingdom. I think he's looking for people who are willing to forcefully push past all the things that easily distract us. In fact, to not always be willing to look like yourself, talk like yourself, and act like yourself. So much so that you say, I've got, I've got to get to this place in God. I've got to get some spiritual relief uh, in my life. And I'm not willing or, or caring. Who cares what it sounds like, what it looks like? I just know I've got to get there. How many people are with me? Somebody say amen. Man, there is a forceful push. There is some undignified worship. There is something that says, I am dying to get in to the place that Jesus Christ has purchased for me. I'm dying to get there. I'm dying to get in. In fact, this kind of reminds me of David in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, verse 22. David is bringing in the ark, the presence of God. And some of you all know this story. He's bringing in the ark, the presence of God. And his wife, who is very uh, dignified, she's up in the tower and she sees her husband leaping and dancing for joy, the Bible says. And actually he was in a priestly garment, a white ephod, a, a priestly robe. He took off his kingly garments, his kingly breastplate, his crown, and he put on a priestly garment And he stood and danced with the priest and shouted and leaped. And she condemned him for it. She said, that's foolish. You don't look like what you should look like. You're not acting what you should act like. That's beneath you. Remember what David said? He said, I will be more what? Undignified than this. And I will esteem myself even lower. That word, it means to, I will put myself even lower than this if it means welcoming in the presence of God into God's people. It means I'm willing to get there any way possible. I don't care what anybody thinks or, or talks about me, I will be even less esteemed than this. I'll be humble in my own sight. What if we started pursuing God? to the degree that we started pushing past everything else, everything holding us back and forcefully run after God with a singular focus, an undignified pursuit. See, the problem is man doesn't see what God sees. In our kingdom, in our economy, in our life, we esteem power and position and privilege. We look at natural success. We look at natural solutions. We look like, hey, I've got a problem. I need more money or maybe i need some more people or maybe i need some more resources for this to work out we got to have more people we got to have more money i got to have it figured out i've got to have a plan in place for this to work in my life we advance our life every one of us are taught at a very young age to advance our life by your own independent effort to pull yourself up with your bootstraps, to figure it out for yourself, to work hard, be better. Uh, we are taught to, in your own knowledge, have uh, seek out the answers, find the answers in your own knowledge and power, and by your own ability, uh, try to control the outcome. Do what you can do to get the results that you want. Work it out in your own life. Use your own strength. Use your own energy. Don't rely on anybody else. Just, Just get there and get some for yourself. That's what man's kingdom says. And see, that's a problem because there's only way, one way into God's kingdom, and that's His way. Somebody say Amen. And you've got to be dying to get in. You have got to be dying to get into God's kingdom. So look with me in Matthew chapter eleven, verse twelve. If you're there, somebody say Amen. Okay. So, breaking through. Let's talk about that for a second. So, give you the background. Jesus has come. John the Baptist has been preaching repentance. There's a great revival just happened. Pharisees are rejecting John and they say, John, he's got a demon. He preaches too hard. He's preaching repentance. And all these poor, pitiful people are coming, but man, this is not the way. He's rejecting the establishment, he's rejecting the status quo. He's not following his daddy who's in the priesthood. He's out there like a wild man. And they come and they condemn him. He's got a demon. They throw John in jail. Jesus comes, guess what He does? Begins preaching the same message. But Jesus is seeing thousands of people come and get healed, saved, delivered, set free. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they say, well, Jesus, He's a glutton. He's a party man. He's hanging out with people beneath His stature. So Jesus comes and says, well, I can play a flute for you and go to a funeral and you still won't cry. And I can, I can have a party with you and you still won't dance. And He says, but this isn't the way. God has hidden His kingdom. From the eyes of some people. John comes to Jesus, sends his disciples, say, Is this the time? Is this how the kingdom is coming? Are we certain? Man, I want, I thought, where's the, the, the soldiers and the horses and, and the, the military power? And Jesus says to John's disciples, because they're looking for God's kingdom, how's it coming? Nobody seems to understand. And here's what he says: Matthew eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Somebody say, violence. Violence and violent men take it by force. This is one of the hardest verses, maybe in the New Testament, to translate. Uh, and there's a lot of argument over, but what, is, what does Jesus mean here? There's a Greek word that can kind of go a couple ways, but it, what he's saying is the kingdom of God, it can be said, is forcefully advancing. Violent things are happening to it. Maybe it's either forcefully advancing. It's either violently or advancing. Or maybe violent things are happening to it. But then he says, but violent men, but forceful men are the ones who are actually entering into it. So what does he mean? On one side, you could say, well, the kingdom of God is being attacked. John's in jail. Pharisees are against it. People are against the kingdom of God. But guess what? It's still advancing. On one sense, you can look at it that way. And John's like, is this it? And he's like, just look, John, it's still advancing. And how is it advancing? It's forcefully advancing. It's violently advancing, even if people are violent against it. But he says, but violent men, but forceful men are taking seas of it. Forceful men are plundering it. Forceful men are the only men actually getting into it. You see, in one sense, the Pharisees, the religious, the status quo was against it. But Jesus said, go tell John what you see. The lame are beginning to walk. The blind are beginning to see. The deaf are hearing. The good news is being preached. Even people are being raised from the dead. And so show John, this is what kingdom advancement looked like. And the kingdom is advancing with people like this. The kingdom is advancing with people dying to get in. It's not going to happen man's way. It's not going to advance man's way. It's not going to use man's money, man's resources, man's education, man's knowledge. It's not going to be under man's control. It's not going to meet the expectation or the status quo. It's not going to look like what man thinks success looks like. But let me tell you something. There's no man who can stop this kingdom. There's no man who can control this kingdom. And only forceful men, violent men, desperate men are making their way into this. I looked up uh, one of the commentators and he went back to a Hebrew word for this forceful entering. And it reminded me, uh, he said, it talks about like a sheep busting through a gate. So years ago when I lived in southeast Arkansas... My grandparents had a farm. We had, uh, don't tell the game wardens, but we had deer. Uh, we had uh, goats and chickens and turkeys. And, you know, like we had these goats that, you know, they were really, really mean. we try to ride them, and they buck you off and bite you and stuff. And so I remember as like a five-year-old, this huge pen, six-foot-tall fence, and I could go in, but it was like, it was like a make-or-break moment. You, if you wanted to go in, you better be ready to go in and shut the door out behind you because it's like those goats saw a weakness. And a little five-year-old heath, and I just hated to try to go in there because the turkeys would chase you, the goats would try to bust out. I mean, and we we're talking about—you ever feel that panic mode in a parent, like at a petting zoo? You're like, you got to get in before they get out. You know, sometimes it's how it is at home. You just kind of no. Uh, uh, you you got to bust in because they want to bust out, and that's what he's talking about. There are people who really want to get in to God's kingdom. And Jesus is the door. He is the way. He is the good shepherd. And He's not letting any just anybody in. But there is a type of person, a violent person, a forceful person, that Jesus is the gate and the door. And He says, This is the type of people I let in. It's not going to be an apathetic, indifferent, religious person seeking to gain their own power or authority. I'm looking for people who are the humble of heart, who are the poor in spirit, and who are ready to be born again. That's what I'm to tell you this morning. Let's look at just who Jesus says he's letting bust in and bust out of his kingdom. So first one is the humble. The first one is the humble. This is the people who get into God's kingdom. Uh, You can look at people today who are experiencing spiritual things. People you might say well they're a little spooky or maybe they're a little emotional or uh, you know that, that whole yelling and jumping and shouting stuff and getting excited that's just not for me. I'm not into all that. I'm not into the prayer and the gooey-gooey stuff. And, and maybe you're looking at people and say, well, those people are kind of foolish. Those people are beneath what it really means to be a God-fearing man of God. You know, that's beneath me to be emotional and to cry and to weep and to come down to the front. I'm not that kind of a person. Pastor, I just don't do that stuff. Well, I used to be one of those people, too, until God shaked me down. You see, he says, the humble The humble of heart. You might be saying, well, I'm fine just as I am. And what you're saying is I'm not dying to get in. I'm not dying to get there. I'm not dying to self to get there. I'm not really ready to let it all out, Pastor. I'm not really to let it all go and get in. We'll see you won't get in. Because here is what he says in Mark chapter ten verse fourteen: When Jesus saw this, uh, the children were coming to him, and the disciples pushed them aside and said, "No, no, you can't, you can't." Uh, Jesus is too busy right now, and he tells these the disciples tell these parents they wanted Jesus just to touch their kids. He's like, no, no, no. no. He's the master's now; I got time for that. Here's what Jesus says. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, "Permit the children to come to me; don't hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these." And truly, I say to you, whoever listen does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. They won't get in. I'm not letting those kind of people push in, but I am letting kid kind of people push in. What does he mean? Uh, You know, if you were to take your kid from the very beginning of their life, tell them that there were real things of dragons. Dragons were real, Trace, man. Dragons are real. If your dad told you that, you'd believe them. Why? Because a child naturally from birth believes the words of their father. They naturally just believe it. He's saying, I'm looking for a faith that naturally believes the words of whatever the father says. Those type of people who are willing to give up what they think they know for their own self-knowledge, and say, whatever God speaks, i believe it. Whatever I read in Scripture, I'll believe it. It doesn't have to make sense to me. I didn't think there were dragons. But if He says there are dragons, I'm believing it. On the other side is children know that they can't get everything they need. My kids every day say, Dad, can you make me cereal? Can you make me a Pop-Tart? Can you open the fridge for me? Adelie, I can't reach the countertop. And if you, uh, as a parent, you are there answering their requests to give your kids food... They know they need it, and so they ask for it. They know they can't make supper themselves, so they ask for it. The same for us. If you think you can get spiritual food on your own, you'll never get God's. If you think I can feed myself all the love uh, that God really wants me to have, I'll find it on my own by my own effort. I'll try harder to have love. I'll try harder to have peace. I'll think about more peace. I'll think about more self control. I'll go to step studies and I'll go to this and I'll try harder and I'll push things out. And you think you can get that stuff on your own? You'll never get what God wants to give you. If you think you've got it all figured out, you'll never get what God wants to give you. Go on even further. Children are childlike. They are obedient. They are faith filled. They are dreamers. What you want to understand in this parable is is that back then, children were the lowest class. We don't have a class system today. Children were the lowest class. It went rich men and royal men, free men, men who were slaves, and below the slave men were women, by the way, and below women in class society were children. Children were the least of the least. They were beneath slaves. They were beneath it all. They were the lowest. And in that society, we don't even understand that because we elevate our kids so high today. We, we can't even comprehend it. But Jesus was saying, guys, you've got to go to the end of it. You've got to go to the bottom rank. You've got to die to self. You've got to come to the lowest low. And today we don't understand it but, uh, because, we again, like I said, we, don't, we elevate kids. But if you go back from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, even to now... One of the things that our generations do is we often, not so much kids, but we kind of devalue teenagers and young adults. I can say that because I was a young adult pastor for five years and a college pastor. We uh, looked at rock and roll and said, "Whoo, go to those footloose kids, they just ain't got it, right? And then we looked at the hippies and said, no, those people are crazy, right? You see the Jesus Revolution movie, right? Phenomenal. Then we go to the millennials, man, these kids just don't want to work. They're lazy. I'm a millennial. all right. Uh, they, and then we look at Gen Z and we say, man, they got the crazy hair and the tattoos and the holes in their jeans. They're always right here on their phones. They don't know anything about hard work. you know." And we look at these and we devalue. Let me tell you something about young people. When young people get it though, man, they really get it. When young people get God, they stay, they keep God sized dreams. They don't listen to people in their life that are saying, that'll never be done. That could never happen. It's never been done before. Kids are like, yeah, I think we can take on the world. You see a college student, they just believe that more is possible. They dream for better days ahead. Their dreams are bigger than their memories because that's what's ahead of them. And Jesus is saying, guys, you've got to be childlike. You've got to be dreamers. You've got to be people like these young adults that are following me. All the disciples were teenagers and young adults, by the way. They weren't old men with beards. These are young people, 20-year-olds. And they're coming and people say, look at these young people. They're out there casting out devils. They're healing the sick. They're laying hands on the, on the sick and watching them. And nobody taught them how to do that. No one gave them the authority. They didn't deserve the power. They hadn't had the memories or the traditions. They were not in a position in that society to be men who were doing that. And yet Jesus was using people like that. Dreamers, visionaries, People who are willing to say, God, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. It was men like Hudson Taylor in the 1800s. They told Hudson Taylor, no white people go to China. The door is closed, there's a war there. And then Hudson, don't even go, not even, you're asking about dressing like Chinese people. White men don't dress like Chinese and get accepted. Hudson did it anyway. Hudson's, no, you can't go into the in China. No one has ever made it that far. Hudson did it anyway. And they said, Hudson, you'll never be able to plan the inland China mission without ever raising for support. Hudson never took up an offering on his own. And yet Hudson left a life and a legacy that today is one of the leading reasons we have the underground church in China today. You talk about people like Mary Slessor. Mary Slessor was a, 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 a Scottish woman. And Mary, we don't, have, we, don't, we don't believe in pastors who are women. We don't believe in missionaries who are women. Mary took her little accent, and she said, uh, I'm going to Africa. Mary, tribal chiefs will never accept a woman. She goes to inland uh, Africa, and through the power of the gospel and much suffering, she saves uh, children who are being killed. She stops wars between tribes, and she brings chiefs to their knees by the power of the gospel. But nobody said it could be done. And nobody said anybody does like that. It's humble people. See, the kingdom belongs to the lowest of low, to those who are dying to get in. It belongs to the humble, but it also belongs to the poor. You see, you can love God, but you can love God without a first love. You can serve God, but you can still keep serving self. In Luke 18, it was a rich man who had come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I think I've got it all figured out. I found out how to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm pretty good at loving my neighbor as myself and Jesus with those piercing eyes and that discernment of the Holy Spirit. He says, yeah, but there's one thing you still lack. There's one thing you're still lacking. Maybe you got it all figured out, but there's one thing you still lack. Go sell everything you have and distribute it to the poor, and then you'll have your treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And he heard it. and became sad because he was extremely rich. And Jesus said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter, to enter into the kingdom of God? If you are alive today and you're sitting in this room, you're one of the wealthiest people to ever walk the face of the earth since the beginning of time. You are one of the wealthiest people. We have the most technology and most convenience of any generation before us. I don't care if you have a lot of money in this room, in the history of the world, across generations and eons and millennia, you are the wealthiest people to ever exist in humanity because you live in this country and you live in this day. And yet we can still be the poorest people in the kingdom of God. We can still be the poorest people in the kingdom of God because we can think we've got it all figured out. Many modern Christians are hesitant to think about giving up a vacation for a missions trip or a bonus to build a church here or in another country. Many modern Americans even struggle with the concept of giving a full tithe to God despite being the fullest, wealthiest people to ever walk the face of the earth. Preaching now. And yet Jesus gave up all the riches of heaven, who for your sake he became poor, that you might become rich, the Bible says. You see, Jesus said, if you want to get into this place, the people that are like that gate and passing through, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want to get in, you've got to get in God's way. And God is looking for sold-out seekers. This kingdom is for those who are distressed and depressed and disheartened. It's for the discouraged, people who are not satisfied with what Satan's doing in the world, or sin, or self, and society. Their hope is not in a better government, a better president, a better Congress, a better Supreme Court, or a better economy. Their hope is in the kingdom that has no end. They are looking for a better kingdom. They are looking for God to be the solution to this world's problems. And they're willing to sell out if by any means they might attain it. They're willing to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Not our money, not our power, not our resources. They don't need any of that. They just want God's kingdom to be coming and His will to be done. It's kind of like George Mueller also in the 1800s. George was a man in Bristol, England and Georgia saw the status quo of today. Nobody cared about the street children in Bristol. And so he had a Sunday school class. And George had a God-sized dream and a God-sized vision. And God would use, to take, use George to take that Sunday school class and for the rest of his life begin building uh, a system of orphanages called Ashley Down. And at Ashley Down, when George died, they tallied it up. And they said over those years, George had ministered to 10,000 street children. When no one told George, George, this is a lost cause, nobody can handle these kids, we don't do that kind of thing, we don't have orphanages in this town, we're not going to support your orphanage, it's too big of a dream, it's too big of a vision, and by the way, no one's going to fund this. They told it up at the end of George's life and looked at, George never ever sent out a pledge card. He trusted every day for God to meet their needs. You know how much George raised, actually George didn't raise, how much God sent $113 million in today's standard. God sent $113 million to a man who said, I don't need your resources. I've got God's resources. I don't need your approval. I've got God's approval. God has called me to do this, and I'm going to follow Him because I'm pressing in. I'm dying to get in. I'll be more undignified than this. I don't care what anybody says. If God says it, that settles it, and I'm running to it. I'm dying to get in. Thank God for men like George. You see, whatever you're holding on to, the Bible says you're sure to lose it. Your gains and your goals in your life have to be spiritual first. Well, I have a goal to get to this mountain and retire. I have a goal to get to this and have my house look like this. I have a goal in my job to get to this level in my office. But is your first goal spiritual? Is your first gain spiritual? Because Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? You see, the kingdom doesn't need your resources but you need God's kingdom to have your resources. The kingdom doesn't need your resources, but you need your resources in the kingdom of heaven. You need God to bless your life. You need God to bless your money. You need God to bless your family. God doesn't need your resources, but you need God to have your resources. Come and say amen to that one. That's good. Lastly is this, reborn. Reborn. You see, uh, it's real easy. I've been in church my whole life. My dad was a deacon and a youth pastor. My parents were both worship leaders, still leading worship today. I've done this thing. I slept under pews when I was little. I did the rebellious thing in my own heart, became the prideful Sadducee, Pharisee type kid. There came a day where God had to break me and Heath Harris had to die. See you can be religious and not be spiritual. Our time spent in these pews is no indication of spiritual maturity. I know people who are more spiritually mature and only been saved three years, and I know people who's been in church 30 years, and I'll trust the person who's more spiritually mature any day. See, it's not indication. That's not how God's kingdom works. It's spiritual maturity. It's spiritual eyes. It's spiritual wisdom. See, God says, the heavens is high as the heavens are than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, this, born, this Pharisee who thought he had it all figured out and knew the Bible better than anybody in his day he saw Jesus doing all this, and he was curious. Something about this guy, more than I understand. I don't say something about him. So Nicodemus goes in the middle of the night, didn't want to you know, risk his reputation, right? He's got something to uphold. He can't be seen talking to somebody like Jesus. He comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I know there's something about God in you, but what is this thing you're talking about, this kingdom? Where is it? When is it? And Jesus answered him in John 3, 3, we know it well. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't see it. And Jesus would say, it's like the wind, Nicodemus. You can't control it, you can't see it, but you can experience it. How the wind comes and goes, it's not going to be something you're going to control, hold on to, or measure, but you can experience this thing. It's going to be a spiritual experience, the breath of God. It's going to come into you. Nicodemus says, well, how can this stuff happen? How can you be born again? How can this kingdom come without us seeing it and just feel it? It's a spiritual thing, I don't understand. And he says, how do you, being a teacher of the law a PhD in the Bible. You don't understand this. How can you... If I tell you earthly things and you don't get it, how can I ever share heavenly things with you? You know what that means? Jesus wants to share His mind with you. He wants to give you more revelation and more revelation. Paul said it's "...the renewing of the mind daily." It's not just a one-time thing, but every day God wants to share his thoughts with you. Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. We've got revelation that the world can understand. There's things that God is speaking to his church that he wants them to do, that he wants them to be there, he wants them to go. But you can't understand it if you think you've got it all figured out. You won't ever receive God's knowledge if you think you got your own knowledge. It's a spiritual thing. It's not something you can go to school for. It's not something you can sit in church a long time for. It's something that God has to give you by the Spirit. And even Nicodemus should have had it all figured out. Jesus says, how do you not know this? How do you not know this? You see, this knowledge, this experience with God requires a righteousness, Jesus said, is higher than even the Pharisees could attain with their own works. Why? Because this righteousness is not based on the perfect works of men, but on the perfect work of one man, Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness not based on the perfect works of men, but on the perfect work of one righteous man, Jesus. He says, and if you trust in His work. There's two words I want you to know, Nicodemus. It's repentance and faith. Repentance means to come to the end of yourself. It means to turn from your way of living, thinking and doing, and turn back to God's way of thinking and doing. It's not just conviction, it's conversion. It's not just going through the motions and weeping and never attaining something, but it's a godly sorrow that produces repentance that leads to salvation. It is a weeping that turns into joy. I'm going to tell you something, in the great revivals of old, men would weep and wail in agony. In many, many church uh, camp tent meetings and altars, they would even fall on their face knowing, I have repented against a holy God. And until they fully emptied themselves of self, there would never be a change. And then in a moment, you would see a change in these people across America as it broke out, and it would turn. The whole church would be in moaning, and in one moment it would change, and there would Joy and shouting and jumping because there was a weeping that turned into joy. There was a repentance that went from a godly sorrow to an experience of salvation by faith. I'm going to tell you something. You've got to get to the end of yourself. And then Paul says it's not just a one-time thing because it's so easy to die to self, get saved, and then go on with the rest of your life and start living in man's kingdom again. But it's a daily dying. God, I am crucifying the flesh in me today. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. It's like Isaiah when he saw a holy God. Isaiah the prophet who had it all together. He's the only guy who had it all together in his whole, his whole nation. And when he saw God's holiness, he said, Woe is me, for even I am a man of unclean lips. Even me. Even me. I'm just like everybody else. It's not my knowledge. It's not my education. It's not my experience. It's not my money. It's not my resources. It's just me falling on my face and saying, God, I'm dying to get in. I'm dying to get in. See, when you believe in his work by faith and the Holy Spirit comes and he joins himself with you and he washes you white as snow. He fills your life with a burning flame and a burning fire. And every day he's purging off the draw of your life. And he's saying, come a little closer, come a little closer, come a little. See, some of us can come in, we have an experience and we just go sit. God is not doing that. He's calling you in. It's a running after him. I'm going to ask you, are you dying to get in? Are you forcefully advancing? Are you pushing through? Because this is the kind of people God uses to see and do great and mighty things. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? He said, it's not by our works, it's not by our might, it's not by our power, it's by his spirit. And we can quote all the Christian cliches we want, but until we really mean it and understand it, we'll never see and experience what God wants to do. You need God's kingdom in your life. Maybe, number one, you're here today and you feel unworthy and unloved. You know that this economy is not working for you. Your efforts are not working for you. All the things you've tried are not working for you. And you are so desperate for change. You are so desperate for real joy and real love and real peace. You're so tired of this world. You're so tired of your past. And Jesus says, you're the type of person this kingdom is for. You're not trusting in a pastor. You're not trusting in your knowledge. You're not trusting in religion. You're not trusting in a pedigree. You're not trusting in more money to come to you. You're not trusting in uh, the government to work for you. You're not trusting in anything. You're ready to trust in something completely different, to give up and give all, to sell out, to go all in. If that's you, you're ready today. God says, I've come for you are the person I've come for. You are the person I'm going to use mightily. You are the person that's going to get the keys to the kingdom. You're the person that's going to trample on demons. You're the person that's going to heal the sick. You're the person that's going to see miraculous provision. You're the person that is going to, as you seek first the kingdom, I'm going to add all these things to you because you're leaving this kingdom and you're busting into the next.